Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh, my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how you doing tonight? Oh, I am just absolutely fantastic. I keep losing weight every day with this heat that we're in. I have my own <laughs> special sauna. I love it so good. Oh, my goodness. I know, and we've had a lot of heat here. It's been close to 100. The humidity I've never seen this here in New England. It's strange. Day after day of hot temperatures and thunderstorms in the afternoon and evening, and the humidity is just through the roof. It's incredible. I think in all the years we've been here, up in the Hilltowns, and, you know, I think we've used the air conditioning maybe twice. But this summer, we have used it just daily for the last 10 days. We can't stop using it because then you can't breathe. It's been that bad. I can't imagine having air conditioning and not needing to use it. <laughs> no, we are. Use Show up. Now it's, 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 now it's starting to feel a little bit like, and i got to say. Mm-hmm. So tell Great. us, Miss PK. What's going on with the numbers? It seems like it's time's moving so fast, making my head spin. What's going on with the numbers? What do we have to look for? Well, firstly, please, everybody, remember we're in retrograde until the 19th. And anything to do with communication can and we'll get messed up, screwed up, turned around, twisted upside down and dangling off the trees. It's been horrible. Everyone I have talked to that's going through things, it's been one thing after another and nothing seems to stay in focus. Right now, today, we happen to be in a a nine universal day, so it's about ending some things and wrapping some things up and trying to get things to work properly. Well, we already found that out, just trying to go on the air. One thing after the other kept dropping out, and that's kind of what's been happening across the board. It doesn't matter whether it's communication with being on or off the air. It has to do with Letters, numbers being transposed, and things are going zonkers. People just aren't feeling comfortable or confident in anything happening around them. 
And for God's sakes, if you have to sign anything that deals with your finances or whatever, my gosh, hold off if you can, but double-check, triple-check it, whatever, before you put your pen to paper because nothing seems to be going well. Kind of one of those. That is damn really if you do, damn if you don't, up. Dave. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I wish I, I could say, say something nice, but I can't. Well, we did have a heck of a time, both of us, getting on the air tonight. Oh, yeah. Skype wouldn't let me in. was asking for a password, telling me it was wrong. Same password I've used over and over again. And <laughs> you got kicked off the board once. So it's, twice. Uh, it is <laughs> twice. Yeah, see, look at that. It's just so it is kind of nuts. It's nuts. But Not anyway, kind of. at least we it made it. It is nuts. It is nuts. <laughs> yes. We're going to oh hold gosh, on got... pretend none of this is going to happen anymore, right? I know, God. Oh, it's been crazy, and I can't wait till the 19th and have this all well, behind us. I really can't wait. Just take a look at what's happening in the news and what's happening around, uh, just in general, whether it's locally or internationally or nationally. Nothing is going well. Everybody's putting their foot in their mouths in one form or another, and uh, the powers that be, God love him. <laughs> I wish he would get a paintbrush stuck in his mouth and leave the White House alone for a while. But <laughs> it's just uh, uncomfortable watching people do uncomfortable, crazy things. And the weather is continues to be very dangerous. I mean, you see all yes, this flash flooding and all of this, the forest fires in California. I mean, it's really, uh, it's really telling, isn't it? About oh, some people it's say it's the coast. end of days. Yeah, it yeah, is. It's coast to coast. It doesn't matter what starts out in one area, quickly turns around to become something else. I mean, we've got the water on the East Coast. We've got the fire on the West Coast. And in between, we've got the heat. Yes. And they say there's yes, no hell. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got it right here, right now. We may we may be living it. Yes, I, I think we might. How about it, huh? It's quite mm-hmm. possible. It is. Well, I just want to encourage everybody to uh, pay a visit to PK's website, patriciakirkman.com. Because it's a good time, believe me, to check into your own numbers. Let's see what's going on for you in the year coming up. And the person you want to talk to about that is Miss PK. So you can find her at patriciakirkman.com. And you can also find her on our website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. And if you're interested in doing any dream work, this is a great time to do it because the, the veil between waking reality and dream reality is also very thin. So it's not just the veil between the living and the dead. It is the veil between waking Mm -hmm. and sleeping. It is very thin. It's a great time to do that work. It's fabulous. Just think in terms of this. Prop up your pillow and give you a call. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I can help you guys, uh, whoever's interested, set up your own dream workshops, your own dream groups. Or just do one-on-one and learn for your own dream symbology. Now, mm-hmm. last week, you had a great idea, PK, which was to put up a prayer protection for right. people to use right before they go to sleep. Because we were discussing last week with our guest that there were mm-hmm. some intrusions into right. our night space. So we prayer and we put it on our Facebook page. So be sure and go there. It's a very short prayer. It's easy to write it down and say it every night before you go to sleep, just for added protection and safety. So take a look. It's there along with some fabulous stories. 
And also with our guest, our guest has written a terrific book called Otherworldly Encounters. That it is. It's a great book. I was teasing him why all the good stuff's on the East Coast. (laughs) I know. Hey, because we are so blessed over here on the East Coast with metaphysical things. (laughs) Paranormal events love us here. But what's great about the book, too, is that Nomar has mentioned a number of YouTube videos Mm -hmm. about these uh, sightings that have taken place in Maine. And so I posted those on our Facebook page so people could take a look at a few of them and you can do that even while you're listening to the show and you'll see some of what we're going to be talking about tonight with Nomar. He's put together a great compendium of stories and we can't wait to get him on the air. But before we do, there is a story that I found today on Mysterious Universe. It's written by Nick Redfern and you Mm -hmm. okay, a 19th century vampire on the loose. Wow. So this is a cemetery in Guadalajara, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they they are saying that in the latter part of the century, at least is what Nick researched here, one particularly restless character roamed the cemetery, something which led to horror and even death. And matters began when the blood-drained body of a woman was found late at night on a nearby street. Her body was found in an alleyway with nothing less than a savage wound to the neck, specifically to the jugular vein. Now, that's kind of spooky right there. I mean, worse than spooky. But then days later, they found another body, and this time on the fringes of the cemetery itself. This one, however, had been dug up from the grave in which it had been buried just days earlier. And the dangerous monster, which was responsible, had dug deep into the grave and wrenched the lid of the coffin off. Yet again, mm-hmm. there was the classic calling card of a vampire. Two bites to the neck. Across the following mm-hmm. week, several children were killed, all in the very same fashion. So I guess the, the townspeople got, they decided that they had to come after this vampire. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go to our Facebook page and read this story because they actually found it apparently they Mm -hmm. found this creature prowling around the the graves and seeking out fresh corpses and a gang of men surrounded it they claimed it was a sterling staring abomination and it took more than a few men to force him to the ground and as it violently fought and struggled to make an escape they hammered a wooden stake into its heart and that was the end of that vampire so it's quite a story. Um, we've heard a lot about vampires in Europe. This is the first time I've heard about one in Mexico. Fascinating story from Nick. So, again, you can read about it on our Facebook page, Supernatural Girls with a Z. Be sure to give us a like and a follow and sign up for our newsletter, The Fringe Files, which is on our website. And we'll send it out every week if we can we're doing our best to be more regular about it and keep you posted on all the latest and greatest of what we're doing so tonight let me tell you a little bit about this guest we have he Mm -hmm. is a paranormal researcher and he lives in you're dropping off patricia i didn't i didn't hear what you were talking about 
Oh, well, that's not good. When you're on the radio, no, you can't hear I me. Want, can you hear me now? I want, <laughs> yes, I can. I just oh, wanted right. you to know that know. we're talking for nothing. I, yeah, I, thank you, because the gremlins are at it again, apparently. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> in this book, Nomar Slavic has sharing shocking evidence that is truly out of this world. He is a ufologist and a paranormal researcher and a member of Paranormal Research in Maine, and he lives in Bangor, Maine. So he's joining us right now. He's going to tell us all the details of these great stories in his new book, which is called Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. Nilmar, welcome to the show. Wow, guys. Supernatural girls. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. It's our pleasure. Gosh. Definitely. Well, I... Where do we start? I mean, first, let's start with you. How did you get involved in all this stuff? Well, that actually goes back 35, 36 years, like 82, 83, I think. And I was four or five years old, and I had a sighting in Maine, in Fort Kent. And Fort Kent is at the tip of Maine. You can literally throw a rock and hit Canada. And uh, I used to get my haircuts in Canada as a child, actually. But uh, anyway... Uh, I was sound asleep one night, and a clap of thunder woke me up. And I started hearing the taps of rain on the window, and then I saw some flashing lights, and I was like, ooh, you know, a thunder and lightning storm. So I sat up in bed, watched it through my window, and then after like a moment or two, a, a really thick bolt of lightning got stuck in a cloud. That's the only way I can describe it. And the type of lightning bolt I'm talking about is, is like the Shazam logo or like the charging indicator on your smartphone. Or if I would ask you to draw a lightning bolt, you draw that thick, jagged yellow line, you know. And yeah. it was in a cloud. And there were, you know, there was electricity coming off of it. And there were booms, booming sounds. And then eventually I just drifted off to sleep. I don't really remember what happened after that. So I wake up in the morning go to the bathroom. As I'm walking back towards my room, I can see out my bedroom windows, and the lightning bolt was still there. Well, even at that age, I know I knew that lightning bolts, you're only supposed to see them just for a second or, you know, less than a second. So I'm like, that's odd. I'm going to go get my dad. So I get my dad. We go upstairs uh, so I can show him, and it's gone. And so I must have been Whoa. pretty hyperactive at that point, be, you know, trying to explain what I saw. And all he could really do is just kind of pat my head and be like, yeah, yeah. But since I was really kind of going on about it, he did tell me that it had not rained the night before. And that really startled me, even at that young age. And, and I kind of became frightened about the experience because I didn't know what it was. It was so unknown. And then a couple weeks later, my parents dragged me and my sister out of bed to go view the northern lights. It's the only time in my life I've ever seen them. And it was just gorgeous. And those two experiences taught me at a really young age that the world is friggin' mysterious and fascinating. And that was really the, the, the start of being interested in all things strange. So as time went on, I got older, double digits, you know, I'm a teenager, <laughs> and I'm, ch I'm, I'm checking out all the UFO books at the library, the local library. Well, they only had like three or four, but I took them out all the time as long as I could. <laughs> and, and I read them, and I kept reading them. I didn't understand everything. I don't know if you remember some of the older UFO books, but they're not, you know, very kid-friendly, you know, to no. understand. 
<laughs> but I, I enjoyed yeah. some of the stories, and I was fascinated with some of the pictures that were in there. And as time grew on, the fear went away, and it grew into fascination. However, I was thinking, if I was scared, maybe there's other people that are scared, and maybe I can help them turn it into fascination like it, it, it has with me. So that kind of started my journey on like talking to other people, which turned into interviewing people, which turned into collecting stories. And Maine uh, has, has a vast history of hauntings, and there's hundreds of books about ghosts in Maine. And there's some books that have some UFO stories in them from Maine, but there was no book dedicated to UFOs in Maine. And I figured maybe about 10 years ago that, hey, I'm going to write that book. So I did. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I, I eventually got it done, and somebody was dumb enough to put Good it out. You. And, uh, and it's been going since then. That's terrific. Well, let me ask you, too, when you said you had that experience as a child, years later, did you ever think to have hypnosis or something like that to try to retrieve any memory of that night? Never never thought of doing it. I have mixed emotions or mixed opinions on hypnosis. You know, I, uh, the, the, uh, I would consider myself an open-minded skeptic, and I'll explain that <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I talk to lots of people, and... Uh, what's rare is when I don't believe somebody. That's like 10% of the time, okay? So mm-hmm. it's actually rare to come across somebody that I think is lying. The majority of what I come across is, is you know, like another 70% of the people I talk to, I'd say that I believe that they believe it. So that doesn't mean they're lying, and it doesn't mean that I 100% believe it, because it could be something else. And then there's about 20% of the people that I talk to where I'm like, well, yep, that's extraterrestrial. That's, that's crazy. So when it comes to hypnosis, I kind of have a similar aesthetic with it. I, I, I'm not sure, you know, because people are so malleable and, and our memories are so malleable and, and easy to, to replace or to forget. And so I don't know how effective it is. You know, I, I've never sat in, you know, in a hypnosis session. I've never talked to a hypnosis expert. So, you know, I could be barking up the wrong tree, but I, I guess I would say I'm apprehensive, which is why I haven't really approached it. Understood. It's a it's a good thing to be a little cautious. I think about if if you're going to do something like that, you have to be very confident in the person you're working with that they're not uh, basically shading this in any way, shape, or form. Right. Uh, I've only met right. one person that didn't undergo hypnosis, but she went under sodium amytal, which is truth serum. Mm-hmm. where her entire UFO experience came out. Um, that's the only well, person that's I've ever known. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. interesting. And Cause, it was, cause now you're it was done by a psychiatrist. A right. wow. And that's something a psychiatrist can administer that uh, medication, and, and then you know whatever's there will come out. The problem with sodium amytal, as I understand it, is difficult to get one thing to come out. It's like everything comes oh, out. Gotcha, gotcha. So I guess you have to have maybe, a lot of time. Um, <laughs> maybe if you don't mind, you can email me or Facebook DM me, you know, like the, the name of, of where I could look that up if it's something that is out there. It's nothing that's really out there. I have, I think, gotcha, one okay. story I wrote about it years and years and years ago. But I will look for that and see if I can send it to you. But, yes, that oh. is one person who underwent that. So there's no disputing the experience yeah. because it's it was not done with hypnosis and it's interesting i mean i think it it gave her story a lot of credence and it's it's interesting that there yeah. are very few if any other abductees that have had that um 
that study Mammotol as a way to bring the truth out. But her whole experience came out under that medication. So anyways, but just a little sidebar there. So you have heard from a lot of people, a lot of people. Let's start with some of your favorite encounters and stories. And we're not just talking about UFOs and abductions here because we're also talking about monsters and men in black and things like that. So what are your favorites and what you've written about and also maybe what's not in the book but what you've known about? Yeah. uh, Well, let's let's start a little bit about what's not in the book. We can cover that quickly. Then I can get into a couple stories. Um, Yeah. So about a month and a half ago, I spoke to a a new dogman witness from Maine. Oh. And uh, there's only been a few encounters that have been reported. Yeah, same here. Yeah. And uh, there's only been a few encounters reported from Maine, and I wrote about one of them briefly in the book. And it was actually covered on a sci-fi television show called uh, Paranormal Witness. You know, so that's kind of been out there for a little while now. But this other guy I tracked down from uh, one of the dogmen reporting sites. I think it's DFRO, similar to BFRO, but it's the uh, uh, the, the, the Dogman Federation reporting thing. And there was a report from Eustace, Maine, uh, about this gentleman. This happened in, I believe, the summer of 94, 95. He's not exactly sure which summer. And his son at the time uh, was about three years old. And they had gone out camping. So they're in an RV. And the son is outside playing, you know, just playing on the ground. And mom's inside, you know, getting some food ready. And dad is at the window of the RV or at the door of the RV watching the kid, make sure everything's cool. And he notices off by the tree line that there's, there's, there's something weird there. So he, he's studying it, and he says it's about a telephone pole's length away. And he says that it looks like a, a humanoid wolf that's crouched, you know, so we're talking, I mean, he's essentially telling me it's like a werewolf or a dogman, you know, and he was aware of the term dogman at the time because he did report it to the site, so uh, he called it a dogman, but at the time of the sighting, he didn't know what to call it, so he said it was crouched, and in a crouched position, it was probably about four and a half feet tall or so, so he imagined when it stood, once it's, because he could see the legs crouched, that it would probably Mm -hmm. be seven, eight feet tall. So, you know, oh my God. Yeah. And he said the head was massive. It was a really big head. And, uh, so as he's, and he sees that the, this creature is watching his son and just very, very, yeah, very silently motionless watching this, his son. So he immediately freaks out once he kind of puts everything together. Cause this all happened in the course of like 10 seconds. He goes outside, grabs the kid, bring him in, brings him inside the RV. They close the doors, make sure all the windows are closed. And after a few moments, he looks outside and it's gone. So he said that uh, a few weeks later, there was another family that was camping up there, blah, blah, blah. And they heard a report of a hunter shooting something really weird. And that the Maine Inland and Fisheries Department retrieved it to try to identify it. And nobody had ever heard anything about the results. So I emailed them, explained in vague terms the story, because I don't want them to think, uh, you know, I'm insane. (laughs) But I explained in vague terms, you know, (laughs) what happened and if there had been any findings. And I've yet to hear back from them. So I guess uh, more to come on that. 
Yes. Well, good for you for for being very persistent to try to get to the bottom of this because I've heard this before, and I know PK, you have too, that they cover this stuff up, and so we never do get to hear that in fact there are these creatures wandering around, and right. it's it's really interesting to me that. This dog man was focused on his son because it reminds me of another story that was reported in the 1800s. And I don't know if you've heard this one, Nomar, but PK and I have heard this a couple of times. And I know David Paulides has talked about it in his book, uh, one of his mm-hmm. books. I, then also. I must love and, if Paulides is involved. <laughs> okay, well, then it, it was the story of the uh, logging operation. When this is back in the 18, late 1800s, they were using a horse and a cart, and the little girl, the daughter of the man that owned the business, was having a blast. He would put her in the cart. The horses would bring her down. She'd run back up the hill. Have you heard this one? And it sounds familiar. Yeah, so I'll just quickly finish it up. But basically, um, one time he went to find her to put her back in the cart so she could go back um, down the hill, and she was nowhere to be found. So he was in a panic. He's searching for her, can't find her. Two hunters uh, come upon him, and he tells them, my daughter's missing. They all start searching together, and the hunters go five miles out. And they see something, big, hulking form, and they call out to the little girl, and all of a sudden this thing just jumps up, and it was a dog-faced thing on two legs and it ran you know jumped across the river ran down the river they couldn't believe what they were watching but they went back to the bushes where he came from and there was a little girl thank god unharmed and they questioned her you know the father was like why didn't you answer us when we called to you and she said he wouldn't let me and then yes and then the father said who are you talking about and she said the dog man And they also asked her, the father said, where's your hat? I guess she had a special hat she was wearing. She said he ate it. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so he ate her hat. But, you know, it's so, but again, what's so interesting to me is you bring in a correlation here, which Mm -hmm. is that the dog man was focused on this man's son in the story that you just reported. So there is some fascination with children with the dog man and uh, that's a that's an interesting interesting thing that you bring to light here, Nomar. Very interesting. So that's the story from the 1800s. Anyways, and and, and um, to keep on the theme with the 1800s, and it happens to be one of my favorite stories. I have a report of a potential UFO and entity from 1806. Wow. And, uh, in the book, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it involves a gentleman by the name of Reverend Abraham Cummings. And he might really be the first ever paranormal investigator in the United States. I can't verify that no, in any way. Sure. I haven't done that to research. But hmm. it, that certainly goes back quite a ways, you know. And Cummings, he was a really smart dude, highly educated, and he had an interest in understanding the paranormal phenomena. And during this time, he was actually investigating a case in the town of Sullivan, Maine. And it was about a ghost of a woman named Nellie Butler. Mm-hmm. And Nellie Butler, apparently, most of the town either saw or heard her. So there, was, there were lots of witnesses to this Nellie Butler 
spirit of some sort. So one night, Cummings is just casually walking about town, and two guys came up to him saying they just had an encounter in a nearby field. And they said that they saw this really odd glowing light hovering over the field. Well, while while I'm reading the story, I got the red flags going off like, whoa, uh, hovering light in a field? That that sounds extraterrestrial. All right, let me keep checking this out. Mm -hmm. So Cummings went and went to the field, and he actually saw what the men did. And he actually described it as a, quote, white rock. And it was actually landed or on the field. While he's watching it on the field, it ascends. It hovers in the air for a little bit, and while it's hovering, a small entity is observed coming out, and it floats down. He said he spoke telepathically with it and actually assumed, according to his writings anyways, he assumed that it was Nellie Butler, but he was confused on why the entity was so small. Well, now, you know, more red flags are going off. Small entity, ascended light. Is that a gray mm-hmm. alien? You know, I don't know. And just as he thought, <laughs> sounds it, sounds like he, it, <laughs> right? So just as he had the thought that, geez, why is why is Nellie Butler so small? The entity shape shifted to a larger size and appeared female to him, almost you know trying to trying to show him like, oh, this is the form that you were expecting. And it actually reminds me of the movie Contact at the end when Jodie Foster is confronted with the alien and it comes to her in the form of her father, you know, something recognizable. Um, so I right. thought that was interesting correlation but anyway fascinating yeah so they talked briefly telepathically and then all of a sudden he found himself inside his home not knowing how he got there again red flags that sounds like an abduction scenario missing time uh being in another place and not knowing how they got there he goes back outside and the rock and the entity were gone and uh my conclusion you know after reading that which was in his own book uh, was that it very much sounds like a UFO abduction type scenario, mm-hmm. you know? So, and it sounds oh, like you definitely. guys Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it has all the earmarks of something yeah, like yeah. that. And yeah. how brave he of also, him to be an investigator and report on these things back then. Yeah, he absolutely. Also, and, and, oh, I'm sorry. Think. He also um, used the term... Spectre. That was like the the term he was using the whole time. So it's just interesting that at that time, you know, he had he had nothing to compare it to. So it, it might have looked very odd to him. But the only term he could use was Spectre. So you know, maybe perhaps all these years, people reading his work was just reading to them another ghost story. But you get another perspective on it and be like, oh, that kind of more sounds like extraterrestrial to me. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, I was noticing when I was reading the book something about the Egyptian description of the gods. Yes, yes. I don't have the book in front of me to uh, um, to to read that quote, but yes, he said that there there was something on her head, and the way he described mm-hmm. it sounded very you know Egyptian or Anunnaki or something like that. You know, and that might be the 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 ancient alien nut in me because <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure, but uh, that, that too brings some red flags, you know. It's surprising how many times these things overlay one another coming from different times. That's what I found fascinating when you were talking about the Egyptian aspect or the Kachinas, and I'm thinking, oh, right. this is really neat. Yeah, it does uh, fit together favorite, like, oh. like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. The book it is does, fascinating. It does. Absolutely well, fascinating. I, I appreciate that, guys. There's, you know, it's kind of interesting where there's some stories in there that have a paranormal aspect to them, meaning mm-hmm. like people experienced 
paranormal-like activity after a sighting, sometimes concurrent with a sighting, you know, and, and that's interesting. And that begs the question, like, is all of this connected somehow, you know? And, and yes. lots of 14 researchers that kind of are, are in that same thought process, you know? Well, it's because of people like you that are, are basically reporting on all of these stories. It, it does provide us with more pieces to the puzzle. And we're going to just take a very short commercial break and have a, the rest of this incredible discussion with you, Nomar. This is great stuff, and we're so glad to have you with us tonight. So stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with Cosmic Fusion and Quantum Vortex Energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the Source. With Cosmic Fusion, the Source Energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit cosmicfusion.com today. Cosmicfusion.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutas effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging 
states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridium. Visit www.astridium.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridium, the beauty of being healthy. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, PK, all the way from Tucson, and our great guest tonight. This is such a terrific conversation we are having with Nomar Slevik. He's the author of a terrific new book. It is called Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions, and actually so much more. We're talking about Dogman and werewolves. Lots of other things, too, tonight. So if you want to call in and ask a question, you can do that at 563-999-3539. Again, the call-in number is 563-999-3539. So, Nomar, where do we go from here? There's so many great stories. I know, I know. Uh, uh, One of my favorite stories of just all time is The Mothman of Point Pleasant. And in doing research for this book, which happened a bunch of different ways, it was just looking up media reports and trying to find witness names. It was uh, doing searches in Google by just typing in, you know, certain certain words. Uh, witnesses came to me directly. I also worked with uh, the state director from Maine of MUFON. Uh, her name's Valerie Schultz. But this one in particular, I just decided to give it a go, and I typed into Google Mothman in Maine to see if I could find anything. Mm-hmm. And I kept finding, like, a headline, Man Encounters Mothman-Like Creature in Camden, Maine. And I, I just kept finding that. I'm like, why can't I find more to this story? This is ridiculous. And then, and then, you know, a witness would contact me. I'd go interview them, and I'd forget about it, and then I'd go back to it. That's all I could keep finding. So I reached out to a fellow author and researcher for some assistance. Her name's Michelle Solier, and she's currently writing a book about Bigfoot in Maine, where she uh, worked with Lauren Coleman a little bit. And she's also the author of Strange Maine, and she was actually able to track down a witness name for me. Um, After a while, the witness uh, spoke to me, and he was willing to share his encounter, but he wanted to remain anonymous, and I did write that in the book. Uh, that he'd like to remain anonymous, so I gave him the pseudonym Robert Osborne, and I, uh, I I found him on Facebook originally, and it was after numerous attempts of sending people an odd message that has the same name of him, so that was a bit awkward, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I finally found him, <laughs> and, and, and I was happy that he was willing to share it. So this started in 2001, and he was 17 at the time, and it's actually almost 35 years to the month of the original Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant in uh, 1966. So I thought that was no kind of interesting. That is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, this witness, uh, he was walking down Washington Street towards his apartment. Washington Street starts right in the center of downtown Camden, and Camden is a gorgeous little coastal town, like right out of a Stephen King book, minus the horror. (laughs) Uh, But it's a a great (laughs) little town. (laughs) And and, uh, as he walked, 
he began hearing like this chirping, squeaking sound, kind of like a mouse, but really loud. So he, he, he wasn't sure if he was going to step on this large creature on the ground. So he's looking down and he sees a shadow go by the pavement where he's looking down. Obviously, that's being cast by something above him. So he looks up and he described seeing a four, four and a half foot long body torso type humanoid thing with a massive wingspan. This thing flew over him and up past his apartment and down to a marshy area behind his apartment. When it flew up past his apartment, he was able to get a measurement of the wings. And the reason he was able to do that is because it measured from one side of the house to the other. And at that point, it was about 25 feet. I went on site. It is about 25 feet. So you're talking a wingspan of like a Cessna plane. Like that's huge. That is huge. Yeah, yeah. So this obviously startled him, and he told his, his his friends and family about it. And I wouldn't say they really dismissed him, but they're like, well, you must be mistaken, because that's insane. And maybe it was a turkey vulture or a sandhill crane, and those can both be found in the state of Maine, you know. But he was like, no, 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 like, I know what I saw. This, this, this was different. So then reoccurring dreams started. And he started having these dreams where he would be in that same spot where he, where he saw the creature. And this time when he looked up, he would see a, a, a UFO the size of a house above him. Mm. And it would roar, come to life, and then take off. And he kept having this dream, kept having this dream. And, and in our discussion, you know, as, as researchers do, I'm like, well, you know, did, do you think that's a dream or do you think that's a memory? And he's like, funny you should bring that up. I tell people to dream but it does feel like a memory. So I thought that was interesting. He doesn't really have any other memories of that, you know, uh, any other UFO, uh, you know, abduction scenarios or anything like that. It's really the only thing he remembers, but I thought that was interesting. So a few months later, he's on Washington Street again. He's walking home, and he sees the creature again. But this time it was a lot farther away, probably like 300 yards away. And at that distance, he thought, like, wow, that really could be a turkey vulture or something. Maybe I am an idiot, <laughs> and, and <laughs> it's, it's nothing. Yeah, so he kind of dismissed it after that. So, you know, he turns 18, he graduates high school, and he enrolls into college, and then the following summer, he comes home to visit his parents, you know, and he stays the summer in Camden and gets a job and all that good stuff. And one day off, He's riding around town with his buddy. They're just kind of, you know, checking things out. It's right in the middle of the day. And while they're driving, this thing splats against his windshield. Oh, and he wow. described it as, yeah, and he described it as like this paper mache thing with translucent wings. And the wings, he thought, looked exactly like the wings from the first larger creature that he saw. And he was thinking maybe this was a smaller version of it, a juvenile, uh, maybe perhaps a, uh, uh, you know, a, like a baby, something related to it. Yeah. A baby, baby Mothman. <laughs> yeah. So him and his buddy are just mortified and the car comes to a stop. They think it's dead because it's not moving. And then all of a sudden when the car stops, it just like flutters and takes off. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it, he said they both had this really, uh, ominous, macabre feeling during the whole thing. Now, that could just be attributed to something really 
strange, you know, hitting your windshield. Of course, we'd all feel that way. But he said it kind of lingered a little bit. It's, it seemed a little bit more than that. So, again, I thought that was interesting. Now, There's a um, fascinating goodness. story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, this, I couldn't believe the story as it unfolded, you know. So now we fast forward to another summer. This is the following summer, and he has a girlfriend now, and they're both in Camden for the summer working and all that good stuff. And they're out sky watching one night, just chilling, doing their thing. And the witness starts hearing the chirping and squeaking again, and he knew exactly what it was. And it was coming from that marshy area. So... He, he, you know, his senses were on alert. The girlfriend just thought it was just something natural from Maine, you know, because she's not from yeah. the area. I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. probably a bat or a deer. I don't know what the hell makes noises up here. Exactly. But, and he, and he exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he, he didn't tell her about it at the time. He was just cautious and kept it to himself. Well, he ended up marrying that girl, and they moved to southern Maine, about two hours south. And he said reoccurring dreams started again last year they moved into a new house and he would have this dream where he would wake up go to the bathroom and look out the bathroom window when he looks out the bathroom window he can see a silver disc ufo hovering just above the tree line and then he wakes up so i asked him again you know if it felt more like a dream or a memory blah blah blah. and he said well this time it really does feel like a dream I, i can't describe it any other way other than that however you know, I, the dreams have stopped at this point, and I really didn't think about it. I got a new job. We got a new place, you know, so I just didn't really pay attention to it. But while I was thinking about the story, you know, because we were in contact for the course of over, like, two weeks or so, um, it, it, it came back to him. He remembered it, you know, so he wanted to share it as another piece to, to the puzzle, potentially, you know. So that that's pretty much his story in, in, in a nutshell, So I decided to go to Camden last summer to check it out for myself. He gave me the address of the apartment building, so I went there. Sure enough, the house is about 27 feet wide, so the wings, from what he described, that matches up. And there is a marshy area behind his apartment building, and it's about a quarter mile away. And so I went, like, behind his little neighborhood, and it turns out there's a little dirt road where you can go down, and there's some parking in there. I don't know if, if, if it's a makeshift thing for pheasant hunting or, or what, you know, what hunters do up here. But there's an area to drive down and, and kind of park. It's not really a parking area. It's just, you know, flat open field really for a little bit. And then it's just all woods. So uh, I first went and told the police what I was doing because, you know, I didn't want them happening upon me and asking me to leave or think I'm doing anything wrong. I always like to let people know what I'm doing when I get to an area. And that's they were smart. totally cool. They're like, Moth, man, that's that's weird. All right, cool, man, have fun. So I was like, all right, I got the police. <laughs> and uh, I, I go over there, and there's so much activity. But when I say activity, there's a lot of animal activity. So I, I'm hearing, you know, large crunching in the woods and all that stuff, and pretty much it, it had to be deer. There's so much deer in Maine. So I, I chalked that up to deer. I didn't see any, but uh, I, I had to chalk it up to that. Uh, I conducted EVP sessions. Uh, I used a uh, night vision camera. All that stuff couldn't catch anything. So I probably wrapped it up maybe 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and then I went back to my hotel. Well, I went to Camden with my family. So the next night, we were there for one more night. So the next night, I brought my son with me. At the time, he was 11. 
And so he's munching on Sour Patch Kids. I'm telling him about the uh, the Mothman Prophecies movie. We watched the trailer, and now he's all like super psyched to go do this. So <laughs> we're, yeah, so we're we're sitting in the car and we're doing our thing, and you know we're we're watching for stuff. You know, let him use the camera, all that good stuff. And then we decide to drive all the way up Washington Street. Washington Street goes on for miles past downtown Camden, and it actually ends in the town of Hope, Maine. So we went all the way to the town line of Hope, but while we were driving up there, you know, we were cautiously driving. It's probably 11 o'clock at night, and we're just, you know, going the speed limit. But all of a sudden, this beast comes racing across the road in front of us. He freaks out and screams. I put my arm on him as to prevent him from being killed or something. I don't know why I did it. And we're both like, ah, and I hit the brakes, and it turned out that it was just a large deer that had crossed the road. But it, <laughs> oh it, it certainly got our adrenaline going. So, oh, I guess so he's like, let's go back. So we go back to the marshy area, and uh, probably four, five, six times, he's like, I see red eyes. I see red eyes. And... I wasn't sure if he was being influenced by the Mothman Prophecies trailer, you know, where they focus on the red eyes and all that stuff. Yes, right. And every right. time I looked, I didn't see anything, you know. And then the last time he points it out, I saw it for myself. And oh, it, my gosh. It appeared to be, yeah, it appeared to be maybe, you know, up in the trees a little bit, or it was really tall. And there were just these, these red eyes staring back at us. We We only saw them for a second, and then they kind of blinked out. So I don't know what to make of it. We didn't see anything else. We took a bunch of pictures at the moment, you know, but uh, nothing came out very good. It's all very pixelated, and, and you certainly don't see any red. And honestly, we don't know Camden 100% well, so maybe there's another road somewhere over where we saw that, and we were seeing brake lights potentially. So I, I don't know what to make of it, but we both saw it, and I thought that was interesting. That is so yes, cool. So. Now, because you you did have a chance to speak at length with this this uh, witness, and you know the story of Mothman from it was in what uh, Virginia, right? West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia. Where did that happen? Mm-hmm. Usually? Yes. Okay. So West Virginia. Now, what do you think? Is there a connection between UFOs and Mothman? I mean, this is what this witness was saying, not in so many words. He I, wasn't saying there was a connection, but it seems like there is one. I know, and. I really, I really do think there was some sort of connection. Now, uh, is the Mothman a thing that you know? Is it from that the UFOs that people were seeing, or or once, or or was the Mothman responsible for opening some sort of portal, or or was Point Pleasant, West Virginia, you know, did a fault line open up and, and all these things, you know, started happening. Like, I, I really don't know what to make of it. There just seems to be some sort of connection. I think it's conjecture, but I think, so it, it seems like it, but can't be sure. Yeah, it is hard to know what the bottom line is. But yeah. since he had these, these dreams or uh, rem- remembrances of an earlier time yeah. when he saw that, and then this, the Mothman seemed to be drawn to him because he saw it several times and then had that event yeah, yeah. with the car hitting the, the baby Mothman. I would call it the baby Mothman, <laughs> which thank God they didn't sounds kill. Good. But, yeah, it, yeah, sounds cute, doesn't it, baby Mothman? Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
it it just seems like he has this witness has some strong connection here that he may not even totally understand, but yeah, he we, certainly we, we has some that. connection. Yeah, we talked about him, you know, potentially being some sort of beacon, or is that area a beacon? And and uh, you know, he he didn't really have an answer either way, you know. But uh, there there does seem to be at least something specifically with this creature that's drawn to him in some way. You know, it's interesting. It does seem that way, yeah. Because why him? There's something about this this guy that yeah. seems to draw these things in. It's, it's very interesting. Gosh, what a great it, witness that you were able to find. Yeah, yeah, and he's a lovely individual, so I can see why something would be interested in him. So <laughs> <laughs> He's a nice guy. All right. Yeah. Well, it looks like we've got a home. caller here on the line who may have a question for you, so let me see if I can pull them in here. This is area code 804. Hi, you're live on the air. Do you have a question for Nomar tonight? Yes, good evening. I just came across your uh, show. I didn't hear the beginning part of it, but I've had pretty bizarre life with UFO paranormal and near-death experiences with ongoing paranormal. And uh, Union Carbide, I worked at their world headquarters, and they are notoriously connected with the Mothman. I don't know if he's aware of that or not. And I did have what I feel might have been an interaction, multidimensional interaction with a gargoyle. Oh, wow. Wow. Ooh. Where was this? At Union Carbide's World Headquarters in Danbury, Connecticut. If I can share my name, uh, there's a, a, a website yes, where I just, yes, uh, if you just put my name, it's Hugh, H-U-G-H, the last name, uh, Trollson is spelled T like Tom. R-A-U-L-S-E-N, like Nancy, after my name, if you put Synchro Mystic Encounters Off-Planet Media, that's one interview I did. But I want to give you a real big website because, again, my life has been so bizarre. Uh, if you Google three words, my last name, again, Trollson, T like Tom, R-A-U-L-S-E-N, then put the word and, A-N-D, and then Trump, T-R-U-M-P. I actually share common background with President Trump. I'm not into the ego like he is, but uh, you'll see on that big website, rootingoutcorruption.weebly.com, all kinds of documents related to the bizarre life experiences mm. I've had. Uh, How fascinating, Hugh. That's wonderful. That you've yeah, had I'm really looking for that... researchers just to pick up on some of this stuff because a lot of it is documentable. And here again, I think uh, like gargoyles and mothman and stuff are all tied into UFOs and multi-dimensions and things, too. Yes, oh, I think that's cool. a very good point. Yes, very cool, Hugh. Now, what happened when you saw the gargoyle? Was it a similar thing? I didn't actually see it. You... I used to, you can oh, you see didn't. pictures okay. of the uh, building. I, I, would, I was a contract security officer. I worked seven nights a week patrolling the building and then doing other uh, jobs like motor patrol. Different nights I'd have different jobs, but uh, when I was... Uh, you can put uh, Union Carbide's World Headquarters, Danbury, Connecticut, photos, and it should pull it up. It, it was quite an interesting building. It was all built on pillars, uh, four stories high, with all kinds of pods and connected with crossovers. So I would uh, mm. patrol various parts of the building, and one night I was coming from one area going over to another area from my post. In the, in the center core area, they had, like, glass ceilings. 
and something came crashing through the glass ceiling. And uh, I stayed very quiet, and I heard what sounded like breathing, and it also sounded like a big wing raising and lowering. And I was tempted to investigate, but something uh, held me back, and then I thought, too, I could get somebody to investigate with me. But then I figured, too, this is pretty wild. If uh, I just let it be in the morning uh, through feedback, I'd hear what happened. I never heard a thing. So I feel what had happened was I had gone into some kind of a time shift or multi-dimension. So where it came through the glass, everything it went back through the dimensions and everything was put back into place. But I do discuss in other interviews, I had a gentleman who told me somebody had been driving on the area roads up there one time at night and something rolled onto the road from the uh, bushes on the side of the road and stood up. It was a huge gargoyle, and that person eventually went insane after seeing it. Oh, oh wow. Not good. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh, Hugh. What an exciting life you've had. Well, we're going to go check out your website. And no more, yeah. I bet you will, too. This is fascinating yeah. stuff. So you uh, yeah, well, the researcher, that's what here. I'm looking for is researchers because I – I'm looking also from all the negative experiences I have been through in my life. I'm looking to show people how we're all spiritual beings. And I feel we all incarnate to learn unconditional love. And as we learn it, we're supposed to be a blessing to others. And uh, you can't take the material goods back into the spiritual realm. But I do believe we are accountable for everything we do here. So that's where I'm looking to help shift uh, all this chaos in the world eventually. Mm -hmm. And empowering that's women wonderful. and indigenous people at the same time, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. You're on the Goodness. same page as, as many of us here and also our audience, I know. So, Hugh, thank you so much for calling in tonight. That's a, It's been a Both. pleasure speaking with you. We'll go to your thank website, you. and I'm sure you'll be hearing from us. Yeah, I, I don't do email or, or texting. If you have my number there, you're welcome to call me if you have any questions at all. And I, I'm going to write it down. And uh, there's other things when you just Google my name or put it on YouTube. There's all kinds of interviews and websites. And I even have a poem in the President Ronald Reagan Library that Maya Angelou commented on. If you put his wow. from Maya Angelou on YouTube. On the excellent. Yeah, I'm also a former whistleblower. There's a front page Wall Street Journal article with attachments from 1983 that I was written up in. And that triggered an investigation that eventually led to the resignation of the Speaker of the House in shame, Jim Wright. Um, no can I just kidding. give one big synchronicity? This is sort of mind-blowing. If I can just take one more minute. Uh, there's a yep, page one on more the, minute. All right. There's Go a ahead. page, uh, Media Review, on the website that you're going to when you Google Charleston and Trump. And there's a book jacket titled The KGB, The Eyes of Russia, written by a high-level CIA operative. And I spoke with him back in the early 80s after reading his book. It was helpful me to expose the guy I did in the Wall Street Journal article. And I lost contact with him over the years. And in 2008, something triggered me to see if Harry Rosicki was still alive. I saw he had passed. When I read his obituary, four synchronicities jumped right out at me. His name was Harry. My father's name was Harry. His uh, wife's name was Barbara Helen. My mother-in-law's name was Helen. 
His daughter's name was Anne Elizabeth Hunt. My wife's name was Anne Elizabeth. My mother's maiden name was Hunt. Now, to find four synchronicities in one small obituary is pretty bizarre, but when you tie it in with high-level CIA, that's off the charts. It really is. That's so amazing. amazing. Thank you so much, Hugh. I'm sure you'll be hearing from us and maybe Nomar, too, and thank you again for your call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll just continue listening, and thank you for bringing me on. Okay. We have the best audience, do we not? Yeah. I uh, I, I Googled him while he was talking, and, like, wow, like, there's there's a whole lot of stuff, so I'm going to probably be doing that for the rest of the night. That'll be fun. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah, and I have his phone number, so I'll be sure to send it to you. Cool. Yeah, Yeah, so maybe he'll be in your next book. Wouldn't that be cool, huh? That would be. (laughs) Did your wife know you've got? Is your wife as interested in all this as you are? You said she was with you way back. Uh, yeah, it was my family, but uh, I, I'm not married. Um, but uh, significant other, though, is uh, right. skeptical, same, same. to say the least. <laughs> and, and, but very fascinated by it. So we were actually, this was November of last year or, or 2016, I forget now, but it is written about in the book. And mm-hmm. we were sitting on our back porch, and we were talking, and, it was probably nine o'clock at night, and it was in a November, and it was unusually mild. So we were pretty ecstatic to be sitting outside in November in Maine. So uh, talking, enjoying the night, and I looked to my left, and high up in not, not even super high, uh, probably three hundred yards up into the sky, I see two bright lights, one on top of each other, but at a slight angle, and I was like, well, that's weird. And she's like, what? And she couldn't really see it from where she was sitting. So she came over to where I was and saw it and was like, wow, okay, that is interesting. This might be the first time I'm seeing what you could technically call a UFO. And once we both acknowledged that we saw it, they kind of backed up a little bit and then faded out. It's very Ooh. odd. Yeah. That is odd. As if they knew that oh, you saw my them. goodness. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it it almost like waited for confirmation. Like, cool, you mm-hmm. both saw it. We're out, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Little now tidbit there. Now tell us about. Yeah, really, just teasing you. How yeah. about these shrinking boys? That was a very unusual story. Yeah, yeah, very very odd story, and that includes you know missing time, a UFO, and and all that stuff. So so they had a day together and they were with friends and doing summer-like things this was back in the 70s and while they're driving home i believe it was around 6 p.m or so they're driving home and when they're getting fairly close to home they see a ufo and it startled them both and they were a bit fearful of it and it kind of tracked the car for a little while and they said that when it was in view that everything like there, like there wasn't sound, like they were in a vacuum, you know, like you can hear your own breathing. Like, you know, if you have a headset on, but you, you're not playing any music, you know, you're, all those things are kind of heightened and you can hear your own breathing or chewing and things like that. And they said it was sure. very odd. And then eventually they turned, like they rounded a curve and the UFO was gone. So they were relieved. I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, we got to tell mom. <laughs> so they keep driving yeah. and they go around another curve. And the UFO is there, hovering, almost oh, wow. like it was oh, waiting boy. for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, mm. and they got the sense that it was maybe waiting for them. 
so they're, they, they like screech to a halt. They're just staring at this thing, and then it disappears. So they're like, okay, hopefully it's gone. So they continue driving home, and then they realize, they're like, the sky looks different. And they look at the clock. The clock is a similar time. And they're like, wait a minute. And it said a.m., 6 a.m. next to the time, as opposed to 6 p.m. when they were driving home. So they'd spent an entire day. It was now evening, early evening, 6 p.m. They're driving, driving. They see this UFO. The next thing they know, the sky looks a little bit different, and it's now 6 a.m. So they thought they had just about 12 hours of missing time, and they speculated that they may have been abducted. Mm-hmm. And this really scared them. So they drove straight to, to the police department and explained what happened. The police didn't really know what to make of their story, but they noticed that the boys looked sickly. They were having trouble breathing. They explained to the police like it kind of burned when they breathed, when they were breathing. And their eyes, the whites of their eyes, the sclera, looked yellow. So the, the police took them to the hospital. So they're getting checked out from the hospital and everything, and the nurses are, or the doctors are worried that they might have, like, jaundice or something, you know, that, that turns the right. eyes yellow. Mm-hmm. So um, once they did some uh, some preliminary tests, they didn't have any other symptoms of jaundice. So they're like, okay, you, you, you don't have jaundice, but something odd has clearly happened to you. And they they were telling the story, and, of course, nobody was really believing them. So now it's time for them to get weighed and and measured and all that stuff. It's just what they do at the beginning of examinations. And when they measured one of the boys, he was measured as 5'10". And he goes, like he freaked out. He's like, no, I'm I'm almost six foot. I'm like 5'11 and a half. Like, this is ridiculous. Check my high school records. I'm definitely like 5'11 and a half. I'm almost six foot. Like, how can somebody shrink just over the course of one day? Like, that makes no sense. And the nurse and the doctor... They, they didn't know what to make of it. They could only go by his word. They did not check his records. But it turns out that the boys were relatively healthy. The color in their eyes started coming back a little bit. The breathing, the, the, the burning breathing sensation did go away while they were at the hospital. So they sent them home. So the boys drove home, and their mother was freaking out. She's like, why didn't you call? You know, the police had to call me, blah, blah, blah. And so she was freaking out at them. The police didn't tell them anything other than the boys are at the hospital, but they're fine, you know. So while the mother is, like, screaming at them, she can see that their eyes look a little bit different, and she can visibly notice that they're a little bit shorter than they were. That's so bizarre. Yeah, what happened to you, blah, blah, blah. So they explained the story to mom, and, you know, so it's kind of a story within their family now. But the boys also talked about having numerous experiences throughout their lifetime, you know. So it seems like they're these repeater experiencers, you know, and and that's certainly one of their most odd tales of, you know, crazy missing time. Like that's a, you know, besides Travis Walton, like that's a huge out of missing time, you know, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. That is, it's enormous, yes. And the fact that they shrunk over an inch. Yeah. I mean, that's, how do you shrink? Incredible. What happens to I make you know. shrink? And then, yeah, and this, this, you know, is that indicative of, I mean, this, 
for the skeptic, this can take a lot of steps to get there, but is it some sort of, of, of the interstellar travel that they were potentially on? Was that doing it to them? But again, that takes a lot of hoops to get there. You know, A, do you believe yeah. in UFOs? Okay, if UFOs, if you do believe in that, does that mean they're alien? Do you believe in aliens? Okay, does, then, does that mean they travel the galaxy, wormhole technology? Who the hell knows? You know, do you believe yeah. that? Okay, now, now you get to interstellar travel. Okay, could G-Force be you know, play a part on that or something, you know? Exactly. Yes, could it? And it may, the I mean, eye who discoloration. knows? That, that's yeah, what's right? about the eye discoloration. That's so weird. Yeah, very, very odd. And, so, and, you know, is that so a... It sounds like they were ex- exposed to some other atmosphere, some other... Because they are they were having trouble breathing, you said, and their lungs yeah, yeah, burned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, so that kind of speaks to that. To? Right. I mean, they must have been breathing something in other than our atmosphere. So, and something that affected them if they were abducted. Oh, yeah. sure. I don't yeah. even think that's the question. They they were abducted. It's just where who took them and where <laughs> was it? Yeah. As you're that's, saying, that's you know, was it question. was it right. interdimensional? Was it extra? Was it off world into other planets? You know, you know what it reminds me of, PK. This reminds me of Sisto. Remember. When we had Nascar, this shaman on, he talked about this man in Peru, Sisto, who was a good friend of his, and they, this man was abducted right in front of everybody. And right. when he, he, yeah, remember he came back. Uh, I think it was two days later, and he mm-hmm. looked like holy hell. His, his eyes were all wild. His hair was just going off in all directions. Remember that description that Don Oscar gave us? It's hilarious. But, you you know, you could hear the same kind of thing, of this exposure Mm -hmm. to off-world elements, a different atmosphere, a different gravity system, you know, different life forms, and how how it had a major effect on Sisto. So I imagine these two boys, it just sounds like they were taken somewhere else where things were quite different. God, great story that you found, Nomar. That's a great one. Thank you. Excellent. The book is, itself is fascinating with all the stories that you have in it. Oh, and it's it's wonderful. a comfortable read because you it's so you're not pushed in any direction. Your mind keeps going with everything that's taking place. Well, Very good. Yeah. Right. I, I appreciate that. And I do preface like the whole book because, you know, you got the shrinking boy story, you got this mothman like creature. Mm-hmm. So I preface the whole book in the introduction to, you know, being open to other people's perceptions mm-hmm. of things. You know, and mm-hmm. and just because something is is hard to believe, it doesn't mean you should inherently dismiss it. Be open minded. Don't be judgmental. Because once once we're closed minded and judgmental, then people stop telling us these stories. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and, a shame. I, yeah, people are afraid to be made fun of or to be ostracized yeah. because of what they see or feel. And Absolutely. We, we yeah. Yeah. Remember, and, and these and, things are real. Yes, yeah, they are. And, and, you know, Something is happening, and the the only way we're going to put the pieces of the puzzle together is if people keep sharing. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, you you also you're right. I mean, it's and it's about time. And I think through shows like ours, and there's so many other shows out there that are good at making this be what it is, which is it's part of our world. You can't right. separate it out anymore. Thank God. And and they have all of the media that is finally starting to talk about it piece yeah. by piece. Yeah which is helpful, and, and so that's good. But you also have a very interesting and strange story about, is it Shalel is the name that you, I don't oh know if that's God. a real name, or, 
What in the world is going on with that? That is a bizarre story with so many different tentacles to it. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that. I know our audience is going to love this one. Yeah, this is this is pretty intricate and it's complex. So, I'll try to make it as concise as possible because it's I think it's one of the longest chapters in the book. But it yes. all starts with a guy named John Walker. And he was in the Navy. He joined in 1955. And in 1968, after having started a family and he owned a restaurant, he began selling US intelligence secrets to Russia. So the simple fact is that he needed money, and this went on for over 15 years. And eventually his wife was sick of his behavior, and he was sick of him getting his family involved. He got his children involved. He got a brother-in-law involved, and and, um, she eventually called the FBI on him. And in 1985, he was arrested and charged and jailed for espionage. And this was a big story. It was picked up all over the world. Books were written about it. It was big stuff. So his wife, her name's Barbara, uh, she put up with his behavior for for a long time. And what what finally made her call the FBI, she says it was at the recommendation of a woman named Shalelle Way. And she's a psychic Hmm. from Skowhegan, Maine. So in 1976, Barbara divorced John Walker, and she decided to go back home, to move back home. Turns out that was Skowhegan, Maine. She befriended the Way family, and she spoke to Shalelle on a few occasions. And eventually she asked Shalelle to give her a reading. And Barbara explained to Shalelle her whole husband's situation, the espionage and all that stuff, when Shalel did her reading, she recommended that Barbara turn in her husband. She quite literally gave and credited Shalel for this decision, and then newspapers all over the world interviewed Shalel about the reading and about the whole situation. And she became a bit of a celebrity psychic for that time. So, Amazing. I, yeah, yeah. So I began digging into Shalel a little bit, and I found that uh, at first she was interviewed by another author. Uh, uh, quite a while ago, and she claimed to have been made aware of her psychic powers by extraterrestrials. Boom, red flag, uh-huh. book now, right? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> she would speak to them. She said she would speak to them once in a while, and they told her that she was needed for something bigger later on. So I contacted Shalelle in 2016, and she invited me to her home, and we talked about the John Walker case, and we talked about the extraterrestrials, and She's a lovely woman, a tad eccentric, but, you know, that never hurt anybody. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she, she openly discussed the Walker case, but she didn't tell me anything more than what had already been, been written about. I mean, it was so covered in the media that uh, she, she, there was really, really nothing more for her to share about it. And um, bear with me here. Sorry. The phone just... Yeah, that's uh, okay. Wow. That was there was, All right. There, I don't... Maybe we're getting gremlins on this side now. <laughs> I, uh, oh, no. My phone just you lit up and then to went dark. Them to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're I'm surprised. So anyways, anyways, yeah. the, uh, we, we discussed the John Walker case. There wasn't really much to learn from it. So we, I, we, we started talking more about the extraterrestrials. And she told me about these childhood encounters. And she, she shared those encounters with her family at the time. 
and it made her family a bit worried about her, like, oh, is there something mentally wrong with my daughter? So they took her to a doctor to get her checked out, and the doctor gave her a clean bill of health. So then her mother brought her to a priest just to make sure that she was okay. And the priest found Shalelle to be perfectly normal. The priest told the mother this. So then after that, the family fully supported Shalelle and her abilities. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, you don't hear about that, that too often. Especially you know, the to shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, Shalelle goes on to tell me about an encounter uh, that happened with extraterrestrials in 1998. And she said that at the time she had a diagnosed tumor in her adrenal gland. And she was very nervous about it being operated on. And she decided to meditate on it one night. And she tried speaking with her extraterrestrials. She said weeks later, a, uh, uh, an ice storm hit Maine. It's a famous story of the ice storm of 98 in Maine. So people were without power for like three weeks. And if you're without heat in Maine for a day. Oh, you know, my God. Horrible. <laughs> so horrible. generators are going, you know, their shelter set up. It, it was horrible. But she said that she woke up uh, the morning after the ice storm hit with her neighbor knocking at her door. And as soon as Shalom answered the door, the neighbor said, do you believe in UFOs? And Shalom was like, what the hell? You know, she never discussed <laughs> UFOs or extraterrestrials with her neighbor. So the, the neighbor said, well, you got to come with me. So the neighbor takes her outside, and she shows Shalom an area of the roof of their shared apartment building that had a perfect circle melted into the area where the, the ice had been. So oh, wow. Shalom kind of like played it off. And was like, yeah, that's really weird, whatever, and, and went back inside. But once she went back inside, she noticed how good she felt. And she immediately thought about her meditation a couple of weeks earlier and claimed that her tumor had vanished. And she said that the extraterrestrials that night caused the ice storm of 98 to conceal them coming to her home to heal her tumor. And then oh, after visiting with doctors, she claimed she didn't need to have the surgery anymore. Very, very and didn't incredible. she have a cat that also had leukemia or something that was yes. also healed? Oh, that's, that's right. right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said the cat that same morning was acting like a kitten and never act that way and lived for several more years after that. You know, and, and leukemia for a cat is a death sentence, you know, so. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, my then, goodness. What a great story. But it goes on from there. It goes on. So in 2009 comes, like, the story. This is, like, the purpose, she explained to me, that the extraterrestrials began visiting her. And they told her about this, you know, years ago, saying that you're going to be needed for this thing in the future. So she said that they visited her again in 2009, and she she was to help the world. That's really all they told her. And she found that they gave her messages, and then she would need to do her readings with her tarot cards to try to figure out the meaning of of what they were saying, because they couldn't outright tell her, is the way she explained it to me. Mm. So she did her reading, she did her meditation, and through the use of her tarot deck, she was able to find something really big, and she said that she figured out that the president of Iran at the time in '09 wanted to nuke Israel, and that he wanted to do this before the elections took place because he didn't think he could win, and he wanted to leave a lasting legacy, which, of course, I mean, that would be a horrible, horrible tragedy, but it would leave him quite the legacy. 
So after Shalel figured this out, she wasn't sure what to do with the information, so she reached out to a a lot of her friends, and there was one man that she identified as a, quote, Marine veteran that wanted to help. And they got together and they devised a plan to thwart this, this nuclear attack. So they decided that they would threaten the president's sons with military snipers, that they would kill him if he nuked Israel. And they said that they wouldn't actually set this up, but they wanted the president to believe that this was going to happen. And so if he did believe it, then maybe they could negotiate him that the sons would live and you don't drop a nuke. So Shalel said that she had an Israeli friend, and he came from a wealthy family that had, quote, connections uh, to the president, and that he could get word to the president. So oh my the time God. of the election. I know, I know, this is crazy. So the time of the elections came and went. No nuke was set off. And Shalel and her friends are convinced that her involvement thwarted that attack. Now, like I was saying, this is a long chapter, so there are a few details. Of, you know, I'm trying to make this concise, but... There, oh, yeah, no. That, that well, they're going to have to buy your book and read it. I mean, that's <laughs> all there is to it. That's exactly it. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, we're, and again, it goes back to the beginning of the book where, you know, this is somebody's perception. This is what somebody thinks happened. And the only thing that I can tell you, regardless of belief of this story, is that when she was telling me this story, I was, I was sitting five feet from her. I was looking into her eyes. And I've never seen someone be more sincere, you know. So at the very least, I believe that she believes it. And who am I to, to judge her or to say, no, that's not true, because it's so wild of a story, you know. Um, well, yeah, just, who are any of us to judge it? It's, it's, it's yeah. a great I, story. Yeah, and and clearly you had a one-on-one with Shalel, and you found her to be yeah. credible. So why couldn't it happen? I'm sure there's stranger things that right. have happened in the I'm spy sure. world. And so here oh, she yeah. had something and a connection with extraterrestrials for good, you know, to prevent yeah. a terrible catastrophe of wiping entire country off the face of the earth, yeah. how horrible and, that and would be. Yeah, and it's nice to hear something positive. There's so malevolent. There's so many malevolent stories about extraterrestrials, and it was nice that this, her whole experience since childhood has been very mm-hmm. positive. That's it's terrific, and I'm, it's heartwarming actually to hear mm-hmm. this this kind of an, an experience. It's great, and I'm glad you have that in your book. This is one of the terrific stories that that you tell. It's just amazing. All the I, you have so many stories. I mean, I don't know. When I picked up the book at first, I thought, well, how many more stories could there be that we haven't heard of? Because PK and I had, you know, through the years, so many people. But there were a lot of stories in here we had not heard before. So right. good job, Nomar. Gosh, these are all great. Highly recommend. Again, the name of the book is Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. But it's so much more than that, as you have found it's, if you've been it's listening It's a wonderful tonight. read. It's, it's very comfortable to read. Yes, it's Thank excellent. You very much. And, and, uh, now, what if somebody be... wants to get get a hold of you? And like Hugh, who called in, now he doesn't do email, yeah. but I secret I secretly wrote down his number for you. But <laughs> <laughs> how would people get a hold of you, Nomar? What's the best way if they have a story to tell, maybe to be included in your next book? How would they reach you? They would. The easiest way to reach me, in my opinion, is Facebook.com/slash. Nomar Slevic author. 
and you can like the page, that, that would be fine, but it, you don't have to like the page to send me a message. So if you want to connect with me, go on Facebook, do a search for Nomar Slavic author. I'm easy to find. Send me a message, and I respond to every message I get. So just hit me up, and you can just say hi or screw you or share a story, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Now, that's great. So people now can find you and tell you their stories. Now, you also have a few videos. You're cracking up, Patricia. What about Bigfoot in Maine? Tell us about Bigfoot. There's so many stories of Bigfoot in Maine, and I actually came across quite a few of them, some contemporary ones as well. But like I mentioned before, Michelle Soyer and Lauren Coleman were working on a book together about Bigfoot in Maine, and uh, Michelle has actually taken over the bulk of that work. So anything I came across, I just forwarded to her. I didn't contact the witness. I didn't follow up. I you know, read the account briefly, and I would just send it off to her. But yeah, there's been numerous accounts of, of uh, Bigfoot in Maine. There's, there's one actually in the, uh, the, the video section of the book. There's a chapter dedicated to like viral videos of, of UFOs in Maine. And I'm really glad you posted that Buxton one. That's a, a crazy video uh, on your Facebook page. But there's yeah. a, uh, a another video where it's you know there's no UFO or anything, but it's a witness telling a story where they're out in the woods and they're they're conducting some sort of survey work or something I forget now, and it's uh, late at night and they're actually going to camp out in the woods and while they're camping out they're kind of in this little valley and they're sky watching and they observe. A UFO. I mean, it's really just a light in the sky, but they see it kind of stop and go another direction, kind of like the classic, you know, star-sized UFO type sighting. And then later on that night, rocks started being thrown at them, and they would look up at the ridge, and they, they could swear that they saw something quite large up there. And they, they, they tend to know that that area has had Bigfoot encounters in it, so they they were wondering if maybe they had a concurrent sighting of a UFO and a Sasquatch. You know, pretty interesting to think about. That is, and the rock throwing is something Bigfoot is known for. Is Absolutely. not to hit people, but to, to just catch your attention, kind it's of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and I would think in Maine, there's a lot of. I mean, you have just so much forest up there. So it's much a forest perfect area. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great stories, and you know I've read a few of them, and I actually can't wait for this book to come out because I want to read about all the bigfoot encounters. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. What about have you heard of anything anything else in Maine that you could mention as you know the last few minutes of the show? Any yeah, other strange uh, I, creatures? There's, uh, again, you know, dog men. There's also been men in black encounters. There was a few crop circles have been found in Maine, and uh, I wrote about uh, some of those yeah. encounters. And, and one of them involved a woman who saw some, like, balls of light, you know, before. Like, she was just like, what is that? You know, looking out her window, her dog was barking at the time, so it woke her up in the middle of the night. The dog is sitting at, their, at her sliding glass window, which faces the field that had the crop circle and he's barking and barking and she's like what the hell are you doing so she looks out there and she sees like some odd lights over the field but to her it's you know could have been flashlights could have been hunters who knows so the scuttlebutt in the morning when she woke up amongst the neighbors because a lot of people live near this field was that there was a crop circle that developed overnight you know and and you don't hear much about crop circles being developed in the united states of course it's happened uh, Mm -hmm. but 
rarely do you hear from them uh, from 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 Maine. And there's a uh, a crop circle researcher group. Uh, I believe it's BLT Research. I believe that's the name. And uh, they're out of Massachusetts, I believe, and, and they go around the country investigating this stuff. So I got their take on it, and and uh, of course it, it could be anything, but uh, it turns out that that one specifically with the ball lightning, they did not go and investigate. So they didn't take any samples from there or anything. So no, no ultimate conclusion from it. Right, but she did see the lights uh, circling in the field. Her dog was acting strangely right. so these are yeah. you know these are definite uh, indications that there was something paranormal going absolutely on. Mm-hmm. and and i do that a lot in the book I, I give you the puzzle pieces i even put the puzzle together for you and then it's up to you to look at it and decide okay was that a crop circle or was it hunters in the field and they stayed there all night and they 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 made the circle just by walking in circles you know like who knows you know what i mean but i yeah I, I, right I, I put it out there and it's up for you to decide you know yeah, very I mean, interesting, quite honestly, though. yeah, it's very interesting, and it makes sense. It actually makes more sense to me, this done in a paranormal way. It actually makes less sense to think that there were hunters doing it, right? Oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> to me, I, agree. I would laugh at I would definitely seriously consider that this is a, <laughs> some type of a, an interdimensional or extraterrestrial event. Sure. Uh, so yeah. then, hunters, <laughs> people's minds to this and that's the purpose of our show also this is where yeah. paranormal is normal and it's about that, that we're able to include all of this in our natural world this is even though we call it supernatural it's truly part of our natural world it's you break it up for some yourself. reason yeah. how about now and better. You Can find you hear me now? Things. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know why this is happening, but it's gremlins. I'm going to say it's gremlins. Hey, tonight. it's retrograde. What do you expect? <laughs> I know. Oh, boy. How many more weeks of this? Um, but anyway, so it, it's so good that, that your book is out, No More, and people listening to shows like ours where we can talk in, in the way that we feel that it should be talked about, that this is a part mm-hmm. of our natural world. There's nothing so bizarre that it cannot be talked about. We need to be open-minded and certainly mm-hmm. uh, it really helps. It helps everybody to come forward if they've had an experience yeah. like this and to find a way to integrate it. That's the hardest thing with, with mm-hmm. these uh, events. It's very hard to integrate it. There's so much unknown so much that's being covered up by our very own government and people in the know, you know, people that really what's going on with Bigfoot that we know that they're out there that's in the government or the shadow government. They understand these things and they know what's happening and they don't really want to share it. It's not fair. Nope. But we're they're not sharing. nice. <laughs> right. We play nice. We're sharing it. No, we can't thank you enough for such a wonderful, wonderful experience having you on the show. I love oh, this. Thank you so it much. was a delight. Yeah, I, yeah, I had fun too. And, and do you mind if I mention a couple other things I got going on? Would that be okay? Yeah. No, by real means. Quick. We're running out of time. We've got like 30 seconds. Okay, real quick. So uh, I also have a podcast. It's me and my buddy. We're a couple of idiots, uh, but it's all on the uh, paranormal. <laughs> it's called uh, I Want to Believe. 
is the name of the podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are available. That's iTunes, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's different about it, though, is that we record all the episodes first. I edit everything, and then we release it as seasons, Netflix style. So season oh. one is out now, and you can listen to it. I want to believe the podcast. And uh, I also wrote and produced a documentary called Abducted New England, and it's directed by my homie Bill Brock, and it's going to be available at the end of the month exclusively digitally on Vidi Space, V-I-D-I Space, and that's Nick Groff from uh, uh, Ghost Adventures and Paranormal Lockdown and Elizabeth Saint. They started a network called Vidi Space and videospace.com, and it'll be available there to watch. We'll also have DVDs on Amazon, and I'm giving a presentation August 31st at the KRI Center in Stratham, New Hampshire, and that's going to be our first screening of it. We're very excited about it. So just wanted to Hey, congratulations. That sounds exciting. If you can send us a DVD, we'd love to see it. So, everybody, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been a great show. We will be back next week with Quantum Consciousness all the way from Australia. And until then, guess what? We'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.